like I said, educate, educate, educate. Mm-hmm. If you could literally, Julie and Annie, right now, go out online and buy a note. Mm-hmm. Right now, online. One of the biggest risks is if you don't have the education, if you don't understand what you're doing, you can lose your money. And mm-hmm. you can lose all of your money. You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, everyone. Annie Dickerson here together with Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I'm doing okay. I'm surviving the ash and fires and the hot weather and the closed windows. <laughs> I As if we needed another reason to wear masks, right? I oh my know. goodness. I know. It's like, we just, we can't go outside. You know, you got COVID going on. We got the fires. I look out my window. Every car is just covered in ash right now. It is just wild. So wild. But other than that, hanging in there, uh, you know, with three kids at home. <laughs> are your kids like better? Are your kids better at Zoom now than you are? <laughs> Actually, my, my kindergartner, yes, he is. He knows how to mute, unmute, because it's his third week. It's the end of his third week. And so yep, he knows how to turn his camera on and off. He knows how to log in, which is so wild. So, yeah. <laughs> I know, sometimes I'm like, you know, when they're on there, I'm like, mute yourself if you're talking. Stop, stop it, stop it. You know, they're like doing all kinds of crazy things. I'm like, ah, if you're not going to pay attention, at least like turn your camera off. Or- yeah. Well, the worst is when you're, you don't know that you're not muted. Your kid's not muted and right. you're like shouting at them for something that they should. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then the whole class hears. It's like, oh, oh my gosh. gosh. It's like that commercial. <laughs> Sorry. This is a total tangent. But I saw this amazing commercial for Progressive uh-huh. and it's a Zoom call. It's like uh-huh. a pretend Zoom call. And then there's this one person on the call who's not muted and she's like yeah I'm just she's talking off camera she's like yeah I'm just on this boring meeting and <laughs> yeah yeah you know it's it's with the the progressive people and it's like ah oh, it's just so and then they're like everybody else is like uh like, do you know you're not muted and she, and because it's a commercial she's like oh there's a mute button (laughs) oh my gosh so wild exactly exactly what i mean but anyway with zoom and everything you know it's so cool how despite how much we make fun of the technology um how great it is right Mm -hmm. that we can still continue to run our business from Mm -hmm. anywhere in the world just internet connection and a phone Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what our guest today says um paige panzarello she's known as the cash flow chick and her specialty is investing in non-performing notes and for our listeners out there if you don't know what that is don't worry you are not alone (laughs) not many people know what that is um, nor would they think to invest in a non-performing asset but that's something that we talked to Paige about Um, and she's really built an empire around investing in non-performing notes and teaching others to invest in non-performing notes. And what I love about it is that she's, you know, she's really in it to help people to stay in their homes and to work out a situation that's a win-win for everyone. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like the returns can be pretty lucrative too, which, um, you know, I, I don't say no to that. But we also talked about the risks, which I'm always interested in. That's usually one of the first questions that I always ask about a new asset class whenever I think about investing in something new. And, you know, we talked a lot about the various risks as she sees it. And one of them she had mentioned, she had talked about, you know, overpaying and, and not knowing how to assess the opportunity and paying for something and seeing, you know, a bunch of equity in the property and paying for the note and thinking that you've got all this equity when really all you're ever owed is the amount that was owed through the note. And, and we talked about a number of other risks, but it was just really interesting to be able to tap her because she's been doing this now for seven years. I think she said it was just really eye-opening because when you hear about high returns or the potential for higher returns in an asset class, it's easy to jump head first in and think, you know, I got this, I know what I'm doing. And as she had mentioned, when we were talking about the risks that, you know, it's very easy in note investing to, you know, lose your all of your money. And so it's not uh, for the faint of heart for sure. But it was a good, good session to learn about, um, you know, notes on a very high level and, and also get to kind of dig in a little bit too. Mm-hmm. And you'll hear Paige say it multiple times in the conversation, the importance of education, education, mm-hmm. education, um, and the risks are, are real, but so are the rewards. And you have to know what you're getting yourself into, which is also why we wrote our book, Investing for Good, How to um, Build Wealth While Also Making an Impact. So if you're interested after this conversation, investing in notes, definitely go and check out Paige and her site. But if you're curious about what we do with real estate syndications, grab a copy of our book. We've got a free copy for you. You just pay shipping and handling. Just text the word book to 41404. That's the word book to 41404. Now, without further ado, here we go. Here's our conversation with Paige Panzarello. Hey, Paige. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, ladies. Thanks so much. Doing great. Wonderful. Now, Paige, I think I think I first met you at a conference and you were speaking on stage about the type of investing that you've been focusing on over the last several years, which is non-performing notes. Yeah. Now, what struck me about what you were saying was that um, I think what you said was that over the decades that you've been involved in real estate, you've seen ups and you've seen downs and you've made lots of money and you've lost some money and you've been involved in so many different facets of real estate. And it wasn't really until you discovered the world of non-performing notes that you were like, whoa, there's something going on here. And you dropped everything to focus on it because you knew it was so different and so powerful. So I want to start by having you explain to us and our listeners what exactly is a note or a non-performing note. And then I definitely want to dig into the story of how you discovered um, this asset class in the first place. (laughs) Yeah, all great questions. So, okay, so a note is basically just a promise to pay. That's it. It's a debt instrument. And there are a variety of different notes that you can invest in. There are non-performing notes, performing notes. There are secured notes. There are unsecured notes. So for instance, an unsecured note is a credit card debt. 
And a secured note is what I invest in, which is secured by residential real estate. Uh, that That's most, I am going into commercial, but yes, I, there's a building that is securing that promise to pay. But that's basically what a note is, is just a promise to pay. It's a debt instrument. So does that mean, okay, so I, I know that lots of people get this mixed up. So is a mortgage a type of note or a note, a type of mortgage? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. So when we say we invest in notes, there's actually several different documents that are involved in a note. Okay. Especially real estate notes. So yes, the note is the promise to pay and that's an unrecorded document. And depending upon whether the house that is the collateral for your note, if that's in a judicial foreclosure state, then it's called a mortgage. If it's in a non-judicial foreclosure state, then the house is attached to that note that promised to pay by a deed of trust. But across the board, even those of us that are in California, which is a non-judicial foreclosure state, we still say we pay our mortgage. We don't say we pay our deed of trust, right? (laughs) So they're interchangeable, but yes, it's basically the same. (laughs) Got it. Okay. So a note is essentially a promise to pay. So then how do you, as a private investor, how do you get into the mix? If typically it's the bank on the other end, how do you get involved in a residential note, let's say? Yeah. So uh, most people don't know. They do know if you've ever bought a house before, um, sometimes you'll get a letter that says, hey, note has been sold and your new lender is this, or you need to not send us the payments, you need to send them here. Um, That is typically your note being sold. Okay. So banks typically are in the business to collection of money and loan out, right? That's what banks do. They're not in the real estate business, especially when a bank has a non-performing asset on their books. They need to get rid of it to somebody who is in the business of real estate investing, right? So somebody like myself can step in and now buy that note that is non-performing either directly from the bank um, or from hedge funds, very large hedge funds oftentimes go in directly to the bank. They've got hundreds of millions of dollars to spend and they will buy a large pool of notes. Well, they can't possibly service all of them. So they keep what they want and then they start down to, to those of us that are a little bit smaller that don't necessarily have hundreds of millions to spend. And we buy those notes and service them, which is great. It, we're, it's a great opportunity for everybody. And most people don't know that you actually can, as, as just a regular individual, become somebody's bank. I make it sound easy. There's more to it than that. But but yes, it, it, the opportunity is there for those that educate themselves on how to do that. Okay. Okay. So I think I've got a, a decent handle on what a note is now. We're definitely going to circle back and dive in <laughs> further, but I want to go back to, okay. So you mentioned most people don't know that they can become the bank right. and it's true. I think if you walk down the street, you talk to most people, they have no idea that this type of investment exists. Yes. So how did you get into it? What were you doing before? And then how did you happen into this type of investment? Well, my story is a little different. Um, as you said, you know, had decades of investing in real estate uh, and real estate, you know, most people kind of, especially nowadays with the internet and webinars and podcasts and, and fun things like that, there's a lot of information that's available that wasn't when I started. Um, so 
real estate really kind of chose me choose real estate. This is not something that I sought out to do. I was young and I had a, a family past and and she had some large estate real estate holdings. And so I had to go off to Arizona to handle with the handle the Arizona properties, knowing absolutely nothing state. And I quickly developed a habit of asking questions about things that I didn't understand and surrounding myself with people that did have those answers. And once I did that, I realized, wow, I've really kind of got a a knack for this. And this is kind of fun, right? So at the time, we had 38 townhome units. We had some land and a sewer treatment plant. So yes, I owned a sewer treatment plant. (laughs) That was one of the first assets to go. (laughs) It's a stinky business. Anyway, um, (laughs) but yeah. Realized, you know, the tenants and toilets thing was not necessarily for me after a little while, though I did really love the passive income, you know, the cash flow from it. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, what can I do to kind of better my situation and really go down this path? And so I decided to leverage those units um, because clearly I didn't have a lot of money. At the time, the estate was largely in debt. I was able, thankfully, in three years to bring it back to the black, but I still didn't have a lot of operating capital to, to grow and expand. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to sell these units and I'm going to develop this land. And I I started down that path and realized that the contractor that I hired was quickly going to bankrupt me. And so I fired him and I decided, okay, well, I'm going to own a construction company. So I found a qualifying party for the, brought him on as a shareholder in the corporation. The corporation owned all the licenses and we grew very, very fast. And I realized that I really loved real estate. I loved construction until it took my time that I had to be on site, on premises, 18 hours a day, seven days a week. And it was killing me. So when the crash happened of 2007, and, and mind you, I was very successful in those seven years that it took me to get from point A to point B. That was the time that real estate was going up, 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 kind of like we are now, right? Yeah. And I was money hand over fist, and I was smart about it because I invested in other assets that cash flowed for me. Um, so I had liquidity, I had assets, I had equipment, etc. But when the crash happened... It kind of, I call it my blessing in disguise, even though it was horrific, really took me out of the 18 hours a day, seven days a week, feeling myself, having health stressed out to the maximum. And and I had to take a step to who I was as, as an investor. When it was done, I, I literally lost everything. I did manage to pay everybody off that I owed money to. People, though, that owed me money couldn't pay me. So I had to liquidate at pennies on the dollar, all of my assets, because cash was king at that point, right? Lending had frozen. So I sold all of that, but and I paid everybody off. But at the end of the day, three years later, I lost, had lost $20 million. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that's a long story to get to how did I get into notes, but it's important because it really, that experience and why I call it a blessing, because I don't call it a blessing that I lost $20 million. <laughs> Believe me, (laughs) but I do call it a blessing because I learned a lot about myself, about money, about investing and about who I am as an investor. 
So when I came back into real estate investing, it really shaped my path and who I was and where I wanted to go and what was important to me. So, and because of it, I'm back stronger, better, and and smarter than ever. So, <laughs> so that's how I got to notes. When I heard about notes, I came back in like everybody else after losing that much money. I didn't have any money. So I had to use other people's money. I had to form joint venture partnerships. I had to start slowly. I had to reinvest that money and one step after another. Right. But I had heard about notes and I thought, Hmm, what is that? That sounds interesting. I like the thought of being the bank and being able to create both chunks of cash and streams of monthly cash flow and have complete control over my asset and the direction that the asset's going to go. And I don't have to fix things. I don't have tenants and toilets. I don't have to worry about the midnight phone call that the toilet's overflowing. I What? <laughs> so I started educating myself. And the minute that I started doing that, angels literally sang for me. And, and I haven't looked back. I have not looked back. I'm so sorry. That's not to say that I don't incorporate other forms of investment in. Because sometimes we take a property back and we have to fix and flip it. That's not my preferred choice, and we don't have to do that often, but it's very hands-off, it's very passive, and it's very front-end loaded in terms of my time dedication, meaning that when I'm doing my due diligence, that's where I spend the most of my time. After I buy it, I pass it off to my team, so pretty cool. (laughs) So in many ways, it sounds like it's almost the complete opposite of what your life looked like back when you were working seven days a week, 18 hours a day, and you were on site and you had all these physical assets to manage. And now it's like, you don't have any, you don't have the toilets to fix. You don't have the hot water heaters and all of that stuff, but you still have that cash flow and you don't, it sounds like you don't have to work as hard. Is that right? Yes. And and this business, it can be as passive or as active as you choose for it to be. Clearly, you know, I have a business. I'm not just supplementing income. I'm not, I have an actual note business where I have over 100 assets in my portfolio at any given point in time. That creates a little more activity for myself. The difference is that I have teams to handle that. So if I want to go away, for instance, in June, middle of June to the middle of July, I went away for a month, a month. And yes, I worked, but only a couple hours a day in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I went off and played. If I wasn't in this asset class, then I would not be able to necessarily do that. So yeah, really different, really, really different. And you can make it as active or as passive as you want it to be. And so what determines how active or how passive you are? Um, really the amount of notes that you have, number one, and the size of your team, number two. <laughs> uh, as we all know, you know, real estate, and actually anything, but I like to say real estate is all relationship-based. Uh, so, you know, and pretty much anything is. There's not, we can't do it all ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the larger you grow, the more, the larger your team gets, and the more, uh, responsibility you can delegate to them unless you're the type of person that has to have hands-on for everything but understand if you're that person very likely you're not going to be able to scale much Mm -hmm. some yes but not be able to scale much yeah 
No, that's so true. I feel like there, that's, there's so much that um, is familiar in what you do and what we do, so many similarities and things that, um, that resonate. So I'm curious to learn uh, more about the returns. This is always the juicy part for me. <laughs> I'm like, let's just get to it. Tell me more about the returns and if somebody is active versus passive, like what, you know, what can they expect to see in the way of returns? And then I want to talk about risks and, you know, how do we find them and some other things, but start us off with the returns, start us off with the good stuff. Okay. You want to start with the good stuff. Okay. So I like to say now, clearly there's, as we all know, there's never a guarantee, right? Mm -hmm. Any kind of return. Um, The interesting thing about buying a a specifically a non-performing note is that we base our purchase price on the current market market value of the securing collateral. So in this case, the house. The current, as it sits, not ARV, not after you have to put a bunch of money into it, as it sits right here and now, what is the current market value? And then we discount it substantially, okay? Hmm. So that builds in a cushion and mitigates some risk. That's number one. That will help in your return. So the more cushion you build in, the larger Hmm. your return is going to be, clearly. Quick question. How do you know what to discount it to? Like, ah, like pick a number, like you're like, ah, I just want it for like 99% off. Like <laughs> you have to like anything, you have to know your due diligence. You have to doing mm-hmm. your due diligence. You have to know market conditions. Mm-hmm. You have to have that established relationship with your seller, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about relationships and the network that you create for yourself. So, and then just asking the question, what is your pricing expectation? Now, sometimes sellers will try, you know, sellers are going to try and get the most that they possibly can and buyers are going to try and buy it for the least that they possibly can. And we kind of meet somewhere in the middle. And that's the only way that you can make that determination is creating the relationship and asking the question. Um, Now, I will say for the last year, now I've been in the note space almost about seven years now. And when I first came in, we were buying really cheap, not 2008 level cheap, but pretty cheap. Um, let's just say we had, had at least a 50%, if not more cushion in terms of discount. Okay. Mm -hmm. Some were a lot less, there was an even bigger cushion. Some was a lot less Mm -hmm. in the last year before COVID (laughs) in the last year, some of the sellers getting much higher pricing. Um, and a lot of us, you know, have already had that established relationship. And so we were able to negotiate those prices that pricing down. So it really, and, and it just depends in terms of your return. What, if you're using other people's money, number one, then it's going, your, that return has to be split, right? And if you're using your own money, maybe you can buy it a little higher price because you don't need as big a cushion because you don't have to split it 50-50. Mm-hmm. So what I like to say when I get this question is I average better than if you were going to lend your money at hard money, typical hard money rates, Mm -hmm. I earn on average better than that. Now, that's not to say that I don't have a bit of a track record that in just about every quarter, I have a couple of assets where I'll hit a home run, meaning I'll double my money. That, that does not happen is I don't want to say that that happens all the time. It I do have a bit of a track record that, that, that has, but again, I would much rather tell you that you're going to earn better than hard money rates and then, and have it and deliver a little more 
than if I say, yeah, you're going to double your money. And then if I return 30% to you, you're going to be like, well, wait a minute. Right. You told me I was going to, I was going to make right, double right. Of my money when a 30% return is, is phenomenal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a bit of a moving target. And of course it depends on the asset, the location, how fast you turn. Um, for us, it's return on transaction not return on investment. Um, generally, you know, it's it, because sometimes in notes you can enter into and exit out of a note in a six-month period of time. So if you made even a hard money rate, let's say you made 12% on your return in a six-month period of time, I would say that's pretty good, wouldn't you? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. So yeah. in the note space, it's mostly return on transaction, not necessarily return, not necessarily ROI, which mm-hmm. is typically 12 months, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. Oh, go ahead, Annie. I was going to say, I'm trying to wrap, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around all of this. So let me see if I can describe this. So let's see, say the typical process, right? So you find a seller and correct me if I'm wrong at any point. So you find a seller who isn't able to pay or so that's the non-performing part. Is that right? They're not able to pay, pay their notes. Different people. Okay. So non-performing. So you have a borrower right? The borrower is the one that took the original loan out and they're the ones that are paying or not paying. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you have the seller who is your bank, the bank that you're buying from Ah. an asset manager, a hedge fund, another note investor, regional, small regional banks. Don't walk into Wells Fargo. I've actually had one of my students do this, walk into (laughs) Wells Fargo and say, I want to buy notes from you. And they looked at at her like, (laughs) what? (laughs) So please don't do that. (laughs) Even I'm not big enough yet to buy from Wells directly from Wells Fargo, but, but yes, your seller is your asset manager. The one that has that, that is the lender, the existing lender that is selling you that, that note. Now keep in mind, you're buying debt. You're not buying the actual house. If you buy an REO, you're buying the house. But if you're buying a note, you're actually buying the debt that's secured by the house. Okay, that makes sense. So when you say seller, you're negotiating with the bank. Correct. And then so they have this loan that perhaps they have this mortgage, I guess, that where the borrower may not have been paying for a few months and they're like, I don't want to deal with this. I'm not years. Yeah. We're not in the real estate business. We want to find somebody like you were saying before, want to find somebody who um, has experience here. And so they find someone like you and then you negotiate price with them and then you purchase the debt. And so now you become the bank. And so then after you do that, then what's next? So then do you reach out to the borrower to try to work out an arrangement? That is such a great question. Now, each note investor is different. I personally like to be able to help because of what happened to me in 2000, in the crash, right? Life happened to me. I lost everything. I know what that feels like and it's terrible. Um, and, and a lot of these people that are in a non-performing situation and, and everybody, I mean, ladies, you know, as well as I do, we are about to hit another just massive crushing crisis um, with what's going on with COVID, people losing their jobs and they're not being able to pay their mortgage payments, businesses closing, all of that. So for me as an investor, my whole strategy is to invest in notes to help people stay in their home, get them to a place where we can, we can bring them back on their feet, get them back on their feet, get them to reperform. And now I have a cash flowing asset that I've mitigated my risk by building in a cushion, right? From 
because just because they owe a hundred thousand dollars on, let's say on their note, that doesn't mean that I pay a hundred thousand dollars for their note. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't pay a hundred thousand. I pay much less, much less. And a lot of times these houses are underwater, so they might owe a hundred thousand, but their house is only worth 80. So they can't even sell it because they're in the hole starting out of the gate at 20,000. Okay. So I'm going to buy the note based on that purchase price or the purchase price is based on that current market value, that 80,000, but I'm technically owed a hundred thousand. Okay. So it's, it's interesting on, on how you can help people and still profit. It, it, it really is kind of like the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I, I very recently was able to help a family that had been in their home for 20 years and they, the husband was injured and he, you know, he was out of work for a couple of years and, and they were so behind and the big banks couldn't help them or wouldn't help them, I should say. And mm-hmm. so when it came to me, they desperately wanted to say to stay. And I said, all right, let's work this out. They were able to start paying because he got back on his feet. He got well, he got back on his feet and he got his, you know, the job back and no one would work with him until I came along. So that is my exit strategy. Other note investors just want the property. So I hope that those note investors buy vacant properties, properties where the where the borrower has already vacated. Mm-hmm. Um, it, Cause I'll tell you when you have to, and sometimes you have to take your heart hat off and put your hard hat on. Mm. Um, and, and you have to, you know, foreclose on somebody, you have to evict them from their home. That is not a good feeling for me. Yeah. So hopefully those that want the actual house invest in notes that are on vacant <laughs> houses already. <laughs> but yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of my strategy. Yeah. So I'm curious, do you have any tips on how to get a non-performing note to perform? Like when I think about notes and I think about non-performing notes, I think, why in the world would I want to buy a non-performing note? There is just nothing about that that sounds appealing to me. But people do it all the time, right? And, And there's probably good reason. And my guess is the good reason is because there's probably better money in non-performing notes than performing notes is my guess. And so if somebody out there was like, you know, I have a little extra time on my hands and I want to make a little bit you know, more on my money, what would be some of those things you might tell them to, you know, strategies to get those notes to actually start paying? Okay. And thank you. You circled that back with part of the other question. I appreciate that. So yes, what she, okay. You have number one, you have to educate yourself. Do not do this. Please do not do this unless you have education because there are pitfalls. Yeah. Please. There are pitfalls. Okay. That being said, you definitely need to establish the relationships with the asset managers. And then you also have to have your team. Now I am not a licensed debt collector. Okay. So once I buy a note, I hand it off to my licensed debt collecting team, my loss mitigation team, and they are governed by the CFPB rules and regulations. They know exactly what they can and cannot say to the borrower. And so the liability take comes off of me and goes on to them. They liaise, they're the liaison between my borrowers and me. That's why I'm saying also that it's a bit hands off. Once I buy the note, I give it to them. They do the day to day. So my loss mitigation team negotiates with my borrower and 
because I've developed the relationship with the loss mitigation team, they kind of know me. They kind of know that, okay, Paige's main exit strategy is that she wants to help people stay in their homes. So let's figure out option maybe one, two, and three of, of what's workable for the borrower that and set them up to succeed as opposed to fail and what's workable for Paige. And they make those offers and do those communications between the borrowers and myself. So, and, and it's very successful. It's very successful. So my time commitment goes down exponentially once I buy that asset and hand it off to my loss mitigation team. And then they liaise between us and they'll negotiate the, the whole deal for me and, and the whole deal, you know, with the borrower. So it's a great symmetry that works. And so did, did I hear you correctly? You said the debt collecting team has to have some kind of like licensing or something like that. Did yeah, so there are a lot of note investors. Yes, you are correct. Okay. My preference yeah. is there are a lot of note investors out there that do what's called self-servicing. Okay? okay. That you don't have to have a license for the most part to to buy a note. Okay. Now there are some states again that that you have to be a registered debt buyer. I don't mm-hmm. want to dwell on that too much right now, but but for the most part, generally speaking, you don't need a license to buy a note. Okay. I use a licensed debt collector to liaise between my borrower and myself because they are licensed, right? The liability falls to them. They understand what they can and cannot say to the borrower. We can't threaten our borrowers, right? You're going to pay me or you can't do that. And, and they also keep a running log. So my loss mitigation team has an internal system that logs the date, time, minute, down to the minute and the second of when they spoke to a borrower, when they, when they tried to call a borrower, all of the communication attempts, et cetera. And so if the borrower ever challenges, hey, I didn't know I was in default and they challenge that foreclosure, we can say, no, no, look. Here's how we tried to attempted to contact you. Here's what was sent. Here's the conversations we had, et cetera. So for me personally, that's my preference in terms of a liability standpoint, because it no longer becomes a he said, she said situation. It's not my word against my borrower's word mm-hmm. because there's a licensed debt collector in the middle of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And where do you find these licensed debt collectors? <laughs> I might have to go find one of these to buy yeah. the non-performing notes. <laughs> I know, right? That's one of the things. I mean, it's it's a matter of networking, and and this okay. space, this is a, a niche market. It, this space is big but small. Mm-hmm. Uh, Almost all of the servicing companies and licensed debt, you know, the loss mitigation teams, they pretty much all know each other. You start to learn who the players are and mm-hmm. network with them. If you become, you know, part of part of my tribe, you know, because as you ladies both know, I do teach a workshop on this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of my give back because I'm very passionate about people having their own financial independence and freedom. Um, but I don't want them to get hurt. So I teach on this. And when they, when my students, you know, come to my classes, then I actually give them my team and my team will accept them. There are some, some servicing companies that won't do, you know, one or two notes. They won't take on a client that only has one or two notes, but I'm very fortunate that my team has, you know, takes on my students because they've gone through my program. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. so real quick, walk us through what it looks like. If I said, you know, Hey Paige, I'm ready. I want to do note investing. What are like kind of the first steps? What do I need to think about? What, what should I be doing? And you know, how long is it from the time that we start, you know, working 
together till I start seeing some, some cash in my bank. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. There's lots of elements to that question. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's how I roll. <laughs> okay. All right. So number one, no matter what, I am a firm believer that if you're going to invest, even if you're going to do it passively, educate mm-hmm. yourself, educate, 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 at yeah. least enough to be dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're going to protect your money with possibly the exception of the three of us better than anybody else, right? Mm-hmm. Is going to protect your money. So educate yourself first, just enough to be dangerous. You don't have to do the business, but at least educate yourself enough to understand it. Okay. Mm-hmm. The second thing is that there's a way to, in terms of working together, there's working with me as, as a joint venture partner. I am somewhat shifting away from that just because my time I've grown and I'm in the process of starting a fund. And that can be a really passive form of working together and investing with me. Mm-hmm. You don't have to invest with me. Like I said, you can network with me. You can, you, you know, I'm, I'm always willing to help and make connections as well. Uh, I'm a firm believer in network. Mm-hmm. So, you know, networking with other people, going to conferences, that's another thing, going to conferences. Mm-hmm. If you want to do this business, mm-hmm. you don't want to do this business, going to conferences, you can meet people like me where you can place your money. Right. Mm -hmm. So I am always uh, just big believer in going out, educating yourself, understanding it, and then Mm -hmm. following through with connections. You have to make those connections Mm -hmm. and determining, you know, is this a good fit for me? Is this something that I want to do or something I don't want to do? That's, that's another key piece as well. In terms of working with me, always, you know, reach out and we can figure out, schedule a time to call and figure out what's the best plan for you. Because it really is about you. It's not really about me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then how long do you think it would take? Like from oh. the time we start working together, like does it take like half a year? Like how, what's the average time span that you see people, you know, getting into working with you or, or otherwise just going out there and buying their own, you know, notes? Like how long does that time to take to, to get there. Mm -hmm. So if you buy a performing note, um, Mm -hmm. which, and you can go out there and buy a performing note, I do Mm -hmm. also sell performing notes. You know, I get them to reperform. I'll cash flow it a couple of years and then I'll sell it. Um, Mm -hmm. you're going to get a smaller discount, but that would be immediate, Mm -hmm. right? If you go out and buy your own performing note, that's going to be immediate cash flow into your mailbox. Okay. If you buy non-performing notes, and I actually didn't touch back on this, I apologize, Julie, um, because that that is crazy, and I'll get back to that in a moment. But being a buying in a non-performing situation, Mm -hmm. I always like to tell my investors anticipate twelve months that you're not going to see any money. Hmm. Okay, anticipate twelve months, largely because there are a couple components that we probably don't have time for right now, but there's a little bit of a lead time that's anywhere from 60 to 90 days Mm -hmm. before you even can really kind of get your train going. Okay. Okay. It's not like when you buy a house, you sign on the dotted line, you get your keys and you walk into the house. Mm -hmm. This, This is paperwork and custodians and a few other things. So expect, you know, about 60 days, even after you purchase a note before you even can get moving on things. Okay. Um, So I always like to set the expectation of about a year. Now, I will say that COVID has created a little different scenario. (laughs) There's moratoriums that that went on. Most of those are easing up. 
and have gone away, but there's going to be a whole new flood, especially in judicial foreclosure states where you have to go to court to actually foreclose. So I would expect a little longer time if you're investing in notes that are in judicial foreclosure states, just because the courts are going to be backed up. Okay. So I would expect about 12 months. Investing in a fund, of course, it's going to be fund-related. There are some funds that only require a 24-month requirement. Some funds are five years. So that just depends on the fund, okay? Going back, though, to your question, because it is crazy about buying a non-performing asset. That does seem nuts. But as I said earlier, remember, I mitigate that risk And I buy non-performing because I get a much bigger discount on my purchase price because they're not performing, okay? So you can buy a performing note at a much smaller discount. So if let's say they owe $100,000 and they are performing consistently over and over and over again, there's not a lot of incentive for a note seller to discount it, you know, percent. That's ludicrous. That's crazy, right? They might discount it 10 15% California notes, everybody, I will let you know, sell at par. So, and sometimes over par and par means if you're owed a hundred thousand, that's what they sell it for hundred thousand dollars. There is no discount. And sometimes they'll sell it for over what they're owed because there's the, the anticipation of the interest amortized over 30 years, right? In a non-performing situation, as I said, we, we were buying notes, you know, when I first started, even a little bit below 50% of the current market value of the securing collateral. So if that same note, let's say the house is worth 100, the borrower owes 100, um, I'm going to buy, I was buying at about $50,000, okay? Now, if there's, in a non-performing situation, oftentimes there's a rearage, so they haven't paid for a year or two, not just months, years. I literally, even now, I'm buying notes where they haven't made a payment in seven years. It's crazy, and so all of that arrearage is also part of the legal collectible balance and is technically owed to me. But I'm going to buy it based on the current market value of the property. So even if they owed me 150, if the property is only worth 100, I'm going to buy that $150,000 face value note for $50,000 or less. And the opportunities, ladies, that are coming. I'm anticipating, and all of us in the note investing space are anticipating probably December, January is when we're really going to start seeing a lot more inventory, a lot, not that there's not a lot of inventory as there is, but there is, but they're a little higher pricing. But December, January, much more inventory flooding, flooding our marketplace and pricing we're expecting to come down. I, I've been quoted as saying that we're going to see 2008 on steroids this go around. And I think we're going to have a massive run. So 50% in probably a year from now is still going to, is going to be extremely high for buying a note. So you guys can do the math, right? Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's why I do, I, that's why I buy non-performing notes. And then I could turn around like I said, I get it re-performing, right? And I turn it around and I sell it to a performing note buyer after I cash flowed. Now, to get it to re-perform, I will, I will work with the borrower. Usually, I give them an option where they don't have to come up with a down payment or they do. Mm-hmm. Obviously, no down payment, higher interest, higher unpaid principal balance. We're not going to modify it too much. Um, if they come up with a chunk of money, you know, then we're going to do a lower principal balance. I can wrap all that default 
interest and, and fees into a new principal balance. Mm-hmm. I can adjust interest rates, you know, clearly with their permission and their agreement, but we can extend the, the loan term. We can defer principal balance. We can forgive principal balance. Mm-hmm. We can, there's so many different things that we can do to create not only chunks of cash, but monthly cash flow. When you start out by buying a non-performing note, as opposed to buying a performing note, mm-hmm. there's 23 different exit strategies in note investing. Hmm. 23. That's a lot of so- notes. So interesting. And it just, you know, it's like real estate investing in general that has, there's so many different strategies for, you know, getting things to, to work. And that's one of the things Annie and I always talk about here on the podcast and and just in general is that we, one of the things we love about real estate investing is just that. We'll get back to our conversation with Paige in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now, back to our chat with Paige Panzarello. Okay, real quick before we transition, I do want to cover the top three risks because that's a question that, you know, I think a lot of people when they're looking at investing in a new asset class that they're wondering, okay, okay, Paige, this all sounds great, but I want to know what are the top three risks that I need to be, you know, mindful of when I'm thinking about getting into note investing? Yeah. Okay. So like I said, educate, educate, educate. Mm -hmm. If you could literally, Julie and Annie right now, go out online and buy a note Mm -hmm. right now online. One of the biggest risks is if you don't have the education, if you don't understand what you're doing, you can lose your money and -hmm. you can lose all of your money. Yes. Okay. So careful about that. So education, if you don't, if you just you know, you're one of those people that ready, fire, aim, mm-hmm. maybe not the best idea for you to <laughs> do that with note investing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you don't educate, that's, that's one of the biggest risks. Now being educated, what is the other, what are 
questions if you, you need to know the due diligence steps to take. And if you're unwilling, I, I don't like to say that note investing is risk-free because that is not true. Mm-hmm. Educated, sophisticated note investors can mitigate risk almost to non-existence. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I say that is because you might have one exit strategy in mind, right? Mm-hmm. But as long as you don't have tunnel vision that just you're just going to do that exit strategy, then you're going to be able to mitigate your risk by pivoting mm-hmm. and going in a different direction. For instance, I don't particularly like to fix and flip anymore, right? It might take me a year and a half, let's say, in a judicial foreclosure state to foreclose on a property mm-hmm. and then and nobody buys it at the foreclosure auction. Now I have the property. I'm already a year and a half into it. So what do I do? Do I sell it? And maybe the property is trashed inside, completely gutted inside, didn't know it was trash. So what we thought was worth 80,000 is only worth 60,000. So what do I, I could take a loss. That could be a risk that I could take a loss if I just sell it as is, or do I pivot do I sell it to somebody, you know, do I sell it to a fix and flipper and carry the paper? Now maybe I'll, I'll get a little more money and I'll earn some interest. Do I fix it myself? Do I fix it myself and then not be able to sell it? So do I put a renter in there for a couple of years? So as long as you're willing to pivot, there are risks. I mean, there, we don't know what inside the house looks like. We don't know what the borrower is going to do, even borrowers that have vacated the property. But as long as you are educated and you have a good team around you and you're willing to shift and pivot from your original exit strategy, then you can mitigate most of that risk. The other thing is you want to make sure, again, it all goes back to due diligence. Mm-hmm. It all goes back to due diligence. You don't want to overpay for a no do though a lot of people get caught up with the interest rate mm-hmm. oh it's 10 percent interest rate and oh there's so much equity in this property and and you know the property's worth one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, and and the borrower only owes forty thousand mm-hmm. total legal collectible balance forty thousand and i'm going to buy this note for thirty five thousand mm-hmm. dollars you've now overpaid for that note you're only owed the total amount of money that you're owed. So if you're only owed 40000 you are not going to get $40,000 and one cent. You are going to get $40,000. And a lot of people get confused. They say, oh, there's, you know, there's $80,000 worth of equity there, and I'm going to take the house, and I'm going to know. Because I can tell you, especially in highly sought-after areas, if you pay 35000 for that note and there's workout costs, you're only owed forty. If that's something like that, that's worth 120 is going to sell at foreclosure auction, everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're only going to yeah. get $40,000. Mm-hmm. So don't get caught up in the equity part of it. It's a nice mm-hmm. bonus, but you have to know your numbers. So if you mm-hmm. bought that note, now you're at risk. Now you're mm-hmm. at risk. So those mm-hmm. are kind of the scenarios, you know, that are risky, you know, but we do things. We put insurance in place. The minute that I transfer my my funds to buy a note, mm-hmm. even before I have the paperwork, I put force place insurance right on that property to secure that if lightning hits it, I get the money, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so many different things that we can mitigate, but you have to know what they are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So good. All of those things are so good. The last one, so good. I mean, (laughs) for people who don't know what they're doing, oh my goodness. And totally kind of misunderstanding, 
you know, the logic behind how notes work and, right. you know, how the equity piece works and, oh my goodness, what a waste of, of time and <laughs> money and, and, and all of that. Okay. All right. Well, there's so much more that we could talk about, but we do need to transition. <laughs> I so know, I know. <laughs> we're going to move to the investing for good impact round. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around investing for good. So yeah. the first question is investing in yourself. So what is one way that your investments are helping you to live a better life? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so many things. So many. I, mean, I know. So, so many things. Okay. Well, clearly I'm not, I'm not, I can literally do this business anywhere in the world. I can yeah. be anywhere in the world. I am not location specific. As long as I have a phone and internet, I can do this business. It has freed up my time tremendously so I can spend time with my family. I have time for myself. I have created both chunks of cash and streams of monthly cash flow, you know, so I can, I can invest, I can play with some and invest, you know, with others. Mm -hmm. I have mailbox money. I mean, just the list goes on and on. Like I told you, I could take a month off and and go and play Mm -hmm. on the river, you know, with my boat Mm -hmm. and sit in the sun. You know, so those things have all have all impacted. But honestly, there's another thing. There's a really key component to this. And and that is that I'm really passionate about helping people. And I, I'm, you know, so that has given me that that has helped me. Mm-hmm. as part of my give back, not only to my borrowers, you know, to get them back on their feet, but also to my investors mm-hmm. because they're learning how to do this and, and taking their own financial freedom, control of their own financial freedom. So that's, that's really what it's about for me and, and how it's changed and impact my life. And mm-hmm. I could go on and on all day about that stuff. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. And, you know, for us, like, you know, I always say it's not about the income, it's about the impact. And, and you know, to be able to wake up every morning and, you know, make the impact, oh my goodness, no amount of money in the world that we would ever make could ever replace that feeling that we, that Annie and I get to do in the work that, that we do and, and same for you, you know, and um couldn't agree with you more. Okay. Second question is, this is my favorite question, is investing in others. So what is one investment strategy or life hack that you might be able to share with our audience that will help them catapult their investing journey? Yeah, this one is really, really important. And and I like to call it knowing what your what is. Oftentimes you will hear real estate people speak about what's your why. Mm -hmm. And that's a really personal thing. We all have a why we're doing this, right? But knowing what your what is. And what I mean by that is what do you need right now? Because real estate ladies, as you know, there's shiny objects all over and we all make Mm -hmm. it sound great. But if you need passive income and you're looking at fixing and flipping, mm-hmm. which is chunks of cash, that mm-hmm. doesn't satisfy what your what is. Mm-hmm. So you need to determine what your what is. Do I need chunks of cash? Do I need streams yes. of monthly cash flow? Mm-hmm. If I need whatever that, if I need both of those, what does that look like? How much do I need per month? Yeah. What is my risk tolerance? That's another mm-hmm. one. Because if you can determine what your what is, And it changes as you grow Mm -hmm. as investors. So always sit down and have a meeting with yourself every year, maybe even every six months, depending upon how Mm -hmm. fast you go, but Mm -hmm. at least every year, okay, what is my what for this year? And that's going to guide you what path you take to get there. Because 
if you don't know what path to take, you're going to be lost in a sea of shiny objects and never do anything. You're going to have analysis paralysis. So determine what your what is and then determine what mediums are going to take you in that direction to accomplish that goal. Oh my gosh. So good. So good. That's just wild. I mean, when I think back when I first got into real estate investing, I knew my why. And then I had, I spent like the next like eight, eight months, like trying to discover my what, and it was like, is my what fix and flip is my what notes? Is it hard money lending? And I, you know, is it short-term rentals? Is it multi, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes on and on. Right. (laughs) And, and if I had that piece of advice at the onset of all of that, and really honed in on what is it that I'm trying to accomplish, it would have just been right down the checklist. Yes, no, no, yes. Okay, now I have these, I've you know down, downsized to these two or three things that satisfy the what, and it would have gotten me to where I was trying to go so much faster. Um, so much faster. Yeah, I love that. That's probably the best one I've heard on Honor. Oh, <laughs> yes, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Honor. I love that. <laughs> Okay. Last question is investing in the world. So what is one thing that your investments are doing to help make the world a better place? Oh, I could go on and on about this one too. (laughs) Honestly, ladies, I'm really blessed. I am very, very blessed that I get to do what I do every single day. I'm impacting, you know, borrowers one at a time when they feel lost, when they're broken, they have nowhere to go. They're fearful. They feel just worthless. And I'm able to bring all of those, push all of those feelings aside and give them a second or even sometimes a third chance. Mm-hmm. And for me, that is massive. And, and it might not be a worldwide scale, but it is, you know, one at a time. And like your motto, my motto is people first, profit second. Mm-hmm. And, and I, so I'm able, to, for me, it, it just giving that, that sense of self-worth, that pride back is a mm-hmm. huge thing. The other thing is the flip side of that is there's a second tier of investors. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm really blessed that I get to help investors take control of their financial future, that their financial freedom, put more money in their pocket so that they can have the lifestyle that they are looking to have. Um, so I'm blessed in that. You know, that is kind of a worldwide thing, right? And mm-hmm. and the third thing is is that I get to teach people how to do this which includes those other two components. So it kind of brings it full circle and ties it all back together. I I am building an an army. I like to call it building an army of collaborators, collaborators, you know, people that, that want to help because in this space, it's, it's very collaborative. It's not competitive. It's Mm -hmm. competitive, but the mindset is different. And so I'm blessed to be a part, you know, like kind of heading and leading an army and being part of a world that's leading an army to be collaborators instead of competitors. And and that's super fulfilling for me. So love that people first profit second. What a great (laughs) motto. And it comes back to what you were saying at the very beginning of this conversation about that blessing in disguise, how even though you went through that horrible situation and you lost all this money, look where it has brought you. And 
for somebody who's not able to pay on their their note or their loan, how fortunate for them to have you on the other side of that note, someone like you who's compassionate and who genuinely wants them to be able to stay in their home. So Paige, you're amazing. You're an inspiration. And please tell the <laughs> listeners if they did want to follow up with you, and I know you've got an event coming up as well. So tell our listeners where they can follow up with you and learn more about what you're doing. I do. Okay. A couple of different ways to get in contact with me. And uh, I am teaching a workshop. It is coming up. It's three days and it is hands-on. It's interactive, but it is virtual. So no excuses. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. That is coming up to find out about that. It is go to buildingwealthwithnotes.com. That's the three-day workshop. Again, I don't hold anything back. I give you everything that you need to know. Um, I give you my team and we do do hands-on and we do do some really fun activities too. So that's coming up uh, soon. Uh, go to buildingwealthwithnotes.com. If you're interested in reaching out to me, asking questions, I'm more than happy to even send you more information. Uh, send me an email to info at cashflowchick.com. Um, you can see cashflowchick right there. So uh, info at cashflowchick.com. I'm more than happy to send you more information. Or you can go to cashflowchick.com and actually book directly on my calendar an appointment to talk with me. I'm more than happy to answer your questions. If, if you're looking to perhaps uh, look, look into investing with me, I'm happy to have that conversation. Again, I look for it's, it's people first. So we're, uh, when you start crossing people with, with money and, and, and emotions, that's marriage, everybody. So we're going to date before we get married. <laughs> But you can book directly on my calendar, cashflowchick.com, and just hit the button to schedule an appointment directly on my on my calendar. I'd love to talk to you. Perfect. Well, we will have all of those links in our show notes for our listeners. Paige Panzarello, the Cashflow Chick. Paige, thank you so much for sharing your journey and your wisdom with us today. Ladies, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a lot of fun, and I hope that uh, I hope that it helps to inspire your listeners um, to take control of their financial freedom and do good in the world. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast. And be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.